Today's episode is brought to you by Mentos Pure Fresh Gum. It's time to get energized. Welcome to Skim This. This week is all about things starting back up again. But in true 2020 fashion, it's hard to be sure things are going to work out the way they're supposed to. School is back in session, though we're pretty sure hearing this in the middle of the workday isn't what you thought back to school would mean. Then fall is just around the corner, though for a lot of people, summer is going to last as long as absolutely possible this year, which is good news for lifeguards looking for some extra work. But will it be enough to rescue a rocky year for tourism? We'll investigate 2020's Endless Summer. But before we talk about any of that, there are two quick stories we want to touch on first, about developments playing out on the West Coast and in Washington, D.C. And we'll start with what you may have been hearing about President Trump's handling of COVID-19. This big story dropped on Wednesday kind of out of nowhere. And who dropped it is really relevant. If you know anything about the Watergate scandal, you may have heard the name Bob Woodward. He was the Washington Post journalist who, in the 70s, helped connect the dots between a break-in at the Democratic Party headquarters in D.C. and the cover-up of that crime that went right up through the White House all the way to President Richard Nixon. Well, on Wednesday, Woodward released portions of a new book he's been working on about President Trump along with some of the audio from interviews he conducted with Trump in February and March. This is deadly stuff. That's Trump talking about COVID-19 in an interview on February 7th, and the audio is courtesy of The Washington Post. You just breathe the air, that's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one, that's a very delicate one. Uh, It's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. One major reason this comment is making waves is that throughout February, Trump wasn't saying the same thing to the public. Instead, he downplayed the threat of the virus and compared COVID-19 to a regular flu. Some pundits, including Woodward's longtime reporting pal from the Watergate scandal, Carl Bernstein, have called Trump's comments in these interviews a smoking gun. Basically, evidence that Trump was lying to the public about the severity of COVID-19 at a time when taking precautions could have saved lives. But smoking gun, as in incriminating evidence that could possibly swing a court case, might be the wrong way to see things. That's because with the presidential election less than eight weeks away, it's the court of public opinion where Americans will get to judge Trump's comments and actions surrounding COVID-19. And the election spin on this is already beginning. On Wednesday, President Trump came out and said, downplaying COVID-19 earlier this year wasn't lying. He was just trying to keep people calm. We don't want to instill panic. We don't want to jump up and down and start shouting uh, that we have a problem that is uh, a tremendous problem scare everybody. Predictably, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden said withholding info about the severity of COVID-19 was never a good idea. He knew how deadly it was. It was much more deadly than the flu. He knew and purposely played it down. Worse, he lied to the American people. He knowingly and willingly lied about the threat it posed to the country for months. 
Political ads featuring some of the audio we played earlier have already been edited and released. So, safe to say, this could become a major talking point in the final weeks before the election, even if some people have already made up their minds. And our second story has to do with the scenes from the West Coast that you've probably seen all over social media. Of red skies making San Francisco look a little like Mars. Or the hills of Oregon wine country looking like a scene from the new Dune trailer. But without Timothy Chalamet's beautiful face. There's something happening to me. There's something awakening in my mind. I can't control it. Wildfires have been burning all the way from the U.S. border with Canada to the north and down to the border with Mexico to the south. Washington State, Oregon, and California are all dealing with fires right now. But with these scary pictures coming in from all over the place, this could be a moment to skim this and not that. Because these photos, especially the ones from the San Francisco area, can be a bit misleading. Since the fires causing the sky to turn red were burning more than 200 miles away, it also didn't smell like something was burning nearby, since the smoke was being carried thousands of feet up in the air. Which might have explained why people were still driving around like usual since flames weren't exactly surrounding the city. Though the scariness of these photos can be a good reminder that hiding from the reality of increasingly frequent and increasingly intense wildfires isn't going to be possible. This year's fire season is already nearly 20 times more advanced now than it was this time last year. And while linking climate change to some extreme weather events can be tricky, scientists say the link between climate change and the drier conditions that help fire spread is much clearer. Across the West, climate change is worsening droughts and heat waves, priming land to go up in flames. This week, California Governor Gavin Newsom announced that at least one of the state's big fires was likely caused by humans. Reportedly, it was a firework at a gender reveal party that set off the El Dorado fire, which has since burned more than 12,000 acres. But Newsom said, whether it's lightning strikes or humans that physically spark fires, climate change is still playing a central role in what's going on. When you add to the lightning strikes, the fact you have 150 plus million dead trees related to a five plus year historic drought in the state of California. Yes, I conclude climate change profoundly has impacted the reality that we're currently experiencing. A few weeks ago, we mentioned a permanent fire season in the West being a new normal. And even that might be an understatement, since some climate scientists predict these wildfires won't just stay bad, they could keep getting worse. So while those orangey-red, apocalyptic sky photos might look like something from another planet, we need to prepare ourselves for them becoming a more common sight in the years ahead. With Labor Day behind us, for a lot of people, that means school is back in session. But let's be honest, we're hearing a lot fewer of those bells in hallways this fall. Across the U.S., states have been trying to figure out the best way to reopen classrooms for months. There are three main categories that describe what schools are trying to do. There's fully remote learning, with kids watching classes from home, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, there's in-person learning, 
basically normal school. Then in between, there's what's considered hybrid learning, with different students studying remotely or in-person depending on their age or something random like their last name so schools can manage their day-to-day capacity. Safe to say, things got complicated pretty quickly in school districts around the country. In Florida, schools were told that if they didn't reopen for in-person learning five days a week, they could lose funding. And as teachers' unions challenge that statewide order, parents have been left confused. In Texas, while some schools reopen this week, others won't physically open classroom doors till the end of the month, or even October. And in California, where a four-tiered COVID-19 assessment system is in place, school districts can only reopen for in-person learning after counties meet certain criteria. So yeah, really complicated. And while things vary state by state, they can also vary county by county. It's really um, all over the place, to be honest with you. That's Dr. Shonda Lewis. She's a professor of education at Jackson State University in Mississippi. Before teaching teachers at the college level, she spent a decade working her way up through the Jackson Public School District, from second grade teacher and literacy coach to principal. The Jackson Public School District right now, every all of their students are online. But then in a neighboring school district, you have the option if you want your children to do completely virtual. And then there's an additional school district that students have, they'll have the option of hybrid or virtual, but they're pretty much all back now. The second district that I spoke of, nobody's back completely. For now, it might be too early to tell whether having so many reopening plans is a benefit or a curse. One upside could be that school administrators can watch what works in other places and then make changes themselves. After all, the year's just getting started. The country's largest school district, New York City, has until September 21st to pull off an ambitious return to some in-person learning, while Chicago just began the school year this week fully remote. But for parents and really anyone counting on some predictability about what the school year is going to look like, good luck finding it. At the college level, we've seen some scary results as schools throw open the doors and welcome back thousands of kids to town. Several colleges have actually shut down in-person learning after witnessing large COVID-19 outbreaks on campus. And in some cases, students are returning home even if they've tested positive. That's not a widespread trend just yet, though. And more schools that are seeing outbreaks are trying to use mass testing to try to get things back under control before putting in-classroom learning on pause. The University of Alabama now reporting more than a thousand positive cases. Over 800 coronavirus cases have been reported at the University of Georgia. Parties and social gatherings have led to spikes in case numbers. Florida State University faced discipline tonight for violating COVID regulations when they hosted an open house party. And around the country, some elementary schools are watching that college confusion and saying, you know what, let's play this one safe and stay remote. So it might be wise not to take anyone too seriously when they say they've got this semester figured out. Stephanie works with us at Skim HQ. Stephanie's daughter is about to turn 10 and goes to school in the Bronx. And we asked her if she's treating her school's reopening plan like it's carved in stone. Oh, no, 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 and no, and no. Wow, that is a lot of no's. In fact, she suspects something's going to go wrong in the next few months that she's thinking about visiting family in the Midwest for the whole month of December. 
I would say it's 50-50 for my, I'm, I'm like, I'm not 100% confident. And I think that as the weather changes, flu season comes around, you know, we sort of see what the second wave looks like. It's just so many unknowns that I, there's no way you can feel 100% confident. But I, what I do feel confident in is that the school, I trust the, the, the principal's really, really good. And I think that they're trying their best to do the best that they can, which we all are. And so I have to trust that. Back in Jackson, Mississippi, Dr. Lewis is also confident that teachers will find a way to get through this, no matter what complex plan individual schools choose to follow. Lewis just hopes that, in an unusual school year when so many things are up in the air, that school districts aren't forced to take a one-size-fits-all approach, especially when it comes to things like standardized testing. Schools already aren't on the same playing field when it comes to things like resources and funding. So now you throw in COVID-19 and all of what's going on with every district being able to have to handle it their own way, then there's no way of knowing how well prepared each district is when each district is not using the same blueprint. So TBD on how districts choose to handle that. But for now, we'll keep watching how schools, both at the university and K-12 levels, put their lesson plans into place before anyone says, pencils down. These days, we're all spending a lot of time in the same routines. And it's easy to get stuck in a rut. The solution? Refresh and energize with Mentos Pure Fresh Gum. It comes in a package that's easy to pop in your bag or keep in the car, whether you need fresh breath behind your mask or a way to keep things fresh while you work from home. Mentos Pure Fresh Gum has you covered. Get a burst of freshness with Mentos Pure Fresh Gum. Go to mentos.com to find your perfect piece today. If 2020 really has you going, what season is it anyway? Turns out you're not alone. With a lot of offices and many schools planning to stay virtual for a little while longer, for some people, it might seem like summer doesn't actually have to end after Labor Day. It's a trend that beach towns and summer locales are cheering on. In North Carolina, vacation rental companies are seeing long-term rentals stretching well into the fall. In some towns along the Jersey Shore, summer lifeguards are being asked to stick around through September, longer than normal, so don't throw out your beach tag just yet. And even vacation spots far away from the beach, in places like Arkansas, are reportedly seeing signs of an extended holiday season. These places are hoping that, after an unprecedentedly slow start to the summer, they might be able to make up for both lost time and lost revenue. For instance, officials in Cook County, Minnesota, thought a slow start to the season could mean a 50% drop in business. But plot twist, according to the New York Times, business is now running 10% ahead of last year's levels. Travel companies and hotel groups are also reporting a shift. According to one recent survey of Americans, 61% said they were likely to take a trip within the U.S. over the next six months. And the home rental company VRBO says people definitely have some wanderlust, with searches for week-long stays up 25% from last year. Because why not take Zoom calls from the comfort of the beach? 
And some hotels are even going an extra mile to appeal to these sort of business travelers, saying hotel staff are standing by to help mom or dad convert that doc into a PDF for a price. Other hotels have just straight up converted bedrooms into mini offices. Though not everywhere is feeling the love. Some vacation towns like Bar Harbor, Maine, typically see an increase in visitors because of cruise ships pulling into port. And yeah, cruise ships aren't so popular right now, and voyages are already being canceled well into next year. Regardless, the travel industry is still hoping it can stretch the season and make up some of those lost dollars in what could become the real 500 days of summer. Thanks for listening to Skim This. This podcast was skimmed by Alex Carr, Marian Lozano, and Luke Vargas. And I'm your host, Justine Davey. We'll be back in your feed again next Friday. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more Skim and to sign up for our daily newsletter, head on over to theskim.com.